We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. Good morning and happy Reformation Day to all who celebrate. Uh, We will be talking about that more in the next segment. Uh, But we are continuing to follow everything going on between Israel and Palestine and uh, Hamas and these terror groups. And we've had a lot of uh, commentary and analysis on what exactly is going on um, in the war itself and in terms of foreign policy and how the Biden administration, in in my opinion, is uh, not the best in terms of uh, looking at what's what's going on. Um, but we also want to take some time to look at a couple of issues of how um, the response has been from several uh, governors as well as uh, the president um, in terms of how we are looking at our domestic policy and what's going on with the response, particularly on college campuses. And so um, interestingly, Florida Governor uh, Ron DeSantis, and this was in uh, Fox News yesterday, the headline is DeSantis defends move to kick out pro-Palestinian groups that support Hamas from state college campuses. And I, I think state funded is the key here. Obviously, this is a state actor being the governor. So uh, Governor DeSantis said on Sunday, he stands by his decision to certi- to decertify any pro-Palestinian student groups that side with Hamas from state college campuses, arguing that to allow these groups to openly side with brutal terrorist organizations is like committing suicide as a country. He said, this is not cancel culture, this group. They said themselves in the aftermath of the Hamas attack that they don't just stand in solidarity, that they are part of this Hamas movement. And so, yeah, you have a right to go out and demonstrate, but you can't provide material support to terrorism. They've linked themselves to Hamas, and so we absolutely decertified them. So joining me now to discuss this and more is our good friend Ron Coleman, who is part of Dillon Law and is a First Amendment litigator. He also is the host of the Coleman Nation podcast. And once in a while, he also does uh, the great honor of filling in for uh, me on the Jenna Ellis Show, uh, my podcast, um, which is a great honor to us uh, to have him. So, Ron, good morning. And um, from the, the First Amendment perspective, um, a lot of people are suggesting that uh, Governor DeSantis and you know some of these other Republicans that are suggesting um, that there can't be, basically it's pro-terrorism groups on campus, that, um, that this is unconstitutional in, in the way that they're going about this. So what's your analysis on this? Hi, Jenna. Um, 
I think those people are right. I think as unfortunate as it is, um, it is not providing material aid to a terrorist group to verbally express support for a terrorist group. It is, um, it's one of the prices that we pay for having free speech in this country. I mean, it's certainly remarkable how these universities that were so sensitive about uh, triggering behavior and um, making people, every, every single person on campus feel safe, have suddenly become gigantic First Amendment advocates. So that's good. We can score hypocrisy points on that. Hypocrisy points really never count with the left because they're fine with being hypocrites. But from the First Amendment perspective, they're really, just as online speech codes are not only problematic, but especially problematic in public schools, or in other words, state-owned or state-operated universities, these students, these despicable uh, students who, who are entitled to epithets that I would not say on American Family Radio. Uh, They're entitled to get out there and tell the world just how nasty they are. Are they allowed to badger and uh, and harass Jewish students or or anyone for that matter? Obviously not. That's that's illegal. What happened at Cornell, uh, what's happening at Cornell and what what happened at Cooper Union um, are at, you know, way way beyond the pale. They, there's no First Amendment protection for threatening people, for uh, lynching people, or threatening to. But if people want to stand on campus and defend Nazis who happen to be Muslims, or announce that they are Nazis who happen to be Muslims, that is their constitutional right. Well, and and, and I agree with you insofar as um, we obviously as as Christians, you are an Orthodox Jew. And as I think just um, anyone who has any sense of moral decency would not use any of these types of um, epithets, would not be supporting uh, Palestine in terms of their speech. Uh, But. We also, as Americans, understand that the First Amendment provides protections even to people we vehemently disagree with and speech that is utterly reprehensible. And so the distinction here that I think is interesting is that DeSantis said he believes the move is totally justified within the law because it is a felony under Florida law, and I would I would think most states, to knowingly provide material aid or resources to a designated foreign terrorist organization. And so, uh, but I have haven't really seen anything other than um, these groups that are organizing and protesting and saying that they're not just pro-Hamas, they're actually pro-terror um, and pro-terrorism. But what would be um, the pro- provision of material aid or resources from a student group? I mean, that that's where I'm not sure that I'm connecting the dots in terms of why he makes that jump. And would that make a difference? I agree. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Well, I mean, I think the the easiest thing for us to see would be raising funds. Um, I can't imagine what else a bunch of ungrateful uh, 
you know, um, black-hearted people 19, 20 years old could possibly do to provide material aid to mass murderers and rapists. Um, I would also think that to the extent there is a sort of character or moral clause with respect to student groups, uh, that would be an interesting exp exploration. But the problem with that is, of course, that inevitably, just like the Human Rights Commission of the United Nations, these kinds of bodies end up being turned on their heads and being most uh, being weaponized against victims uh, so that you'd end up you know, any pro-Israel or any pro-life or any pro-Christian organization would inevitably be deemed as violating someone's civil rights by virtue of the you know, supposedly immoral stands that are being taken according to the lights of Marxism, intersectionalism, uh, alphabetism, uh, and all the other isms. So at the end of the day, unless these organizations are actually providing material, and there's a reason that that word material is in there, because material, uh, you know, as lawyers we use the term all the time to mean substantial and meaningful, but it also, it's not a coincidence that the word material also has the associated meaning of tangible, concrete. It, it, it's not just moral support. Even in a time of war, even if we were talking about, actually we are talking about explicitly expressing their support for enemies of the United States. These are, in fact, terrorist groups, and these are, in fact, groups that have attacked and killed Americans and continue to do so. Nonetheless, you do, you know, there's a lot of, of as you, and as you know from your experience there's a lot of confusion about the meaning of the word treason these people these students do have what i think could unquestionably be described as treasonous points of view and to the extent that certainly that they are on visas um they those visas in, in, a, in a world in which we had a foreign policy or of, you know, a rule of law that acknowledges that the United States is, is, is a country with borders, those visas would be and should be reviewed for compliance with their conditions. Having said all that, yeah. in terms of the protest and in terms of the ugliness, it's First Amendment protected speech. Yeah, and, and I think, Ron Coleman, um, you're right to draw that distinction between speech and what the law uh, does define as, as material support or aid or resources, and that is a legal definition, as you highlight. And we have to be very careful as conservatives that we aren't suggesting a policy against um, people we disagree with that we would not want those in power um, to 
to foist on us. And certainly we're seeing that with a lot of the speech and content regulation online that um, discourages or even censors conservative viewpoints and political viewpoints in our speech. So I think that um, that all of these things and, you know, and this is something with with Governor DeSantis and, you know, all of my listeners know um, I support him. I think he's a great governor. Um, But, you know, this is one of those things where I would like more information about how and why he actually believes this move is quote-unquote, totally justified within the law, and we should very carefully analyze that. And in the last few minutes I have with you, um, Ron Coleman from Dillon Law, and you can follow him at Ron Coleman on X. Um, You were talking about the student visas, and I think that's also an important distinction between student groups and state-funded schools. Obviously, state-funded is different than private institutions under the law. Um, But when we're talking about visas, um, uh, former President Trump also mentioned and kind of revived this so-called um, Muslim travel ban. And of course, he very famously um, signed an executive order back in 2017 um, that I defended at the time. I wasn't working for him at the time. But um, it was an executive order that banned foreign nationals from seven different countries that the left was suggesting because they were predominantly Muslim, then it was a, a basically a religion ban. And you know, and, and to me saying, okay, if, we, if you're looking at the configuration of these countries, that's okay to, and, and that's permissible under the law. And it's not, and he's never suggested that it's just, or at least he didn't at the time, to say um, that this is just, if you are a person of a different faith than Christianity, therefore you, on that basis, shouldn't be able to access a visa. Yeah, I mean, we we know what a scam that was. I, I mean, when the left, I think the, the events of the last three weeks have demonstrated to anyone who still had any doubt about it that whenever the left claims a moral position about any topic, it is entirely situational. Um, the idea was to was to frustrate. President Trump's ability to get control over uh, immigration and to prevent the importation of uh, populations that hold values systematically opposed to our values of democracy. This is a discussion I've had with a lot of people, I'm sure you have as well. At what point does the Constitution become a suicide pact? Do you say well, First Amendment, and therefore let's permit speech to people whose speech is uh, antithetical to the freedom that they are enjoying. And that's what we're talking about here. Uh, the, the, the real problem, though, isn't that they're being allowed to speak. It's that they're being allowed to threaten. They're, they're, they're being allowed to do things that no other group would be allowed to do in, and, and, and to, to target, you know, there's this, this preposterous, um, you know, formulation that I'm not anti-Zionist. I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm anti-Zionist. You know, people with that attitude are always anti-Semites. Um, now, are there some people with Jewish last names and who come from Jewish families who also fall into the anti-Zionist camp? Does that mean they can't be 
anti-Semites. Of course, it doesn't mean they can't be anti-Semites. There's all kinds of complex psychological reasons that people have for despising their own heritage and for wanting social acceptance. You know, college campuses are a very, very difficult place for college students and, and for Jewish and Christian college students these days. And we're increasingly yep. seeing, you know, uh, Christian students just choosing wisely, I think, to go to... Yeah, and, and Ron Coleman, we got to leave cool. it there. Really appreciate it. You can follow him on X at Ron Coleman. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And again, happy Reformation Day to all who celebrate. So uh, Reformation Day, of course, is the recognition uh, back when Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses um, on that door and uh, suggested that there were problems with doctrine in the Catholic Church. And uh, his big push, of course, was justification by faith alone. And um, I and my family have, um, throughout uh, even growing up and everything, we never celebrated Halloween. And in fact, I did a two-part series on this question, should Christians celebrate Halloween? I think it's a question all of us should consider, and um, if we do, to what extent? And uh, that two-part series is on my podcast. You can find that um, at thejennaellishow.com. And um, I talked with uh, former presidential candidate Michelle Bachman um, extensively in the first episode. And then, um, interestingly, a Catholic priest who um, has performed exorcisms. And um, his commentary was, was, to me, really incredibly uh, valuable and worthwhile in terms of uh, why uh, getting little children um, to be interested in and fascinated with things that um, that are apparatuses of death or could be um, doorways to the occult, um, even if it's seemingly benign and even, even if it's um, seemingly just for fun, um, we really need to ask and answer that question, especially if you are a parent. 
um, do we celebrate Halloween and to what extent and what do we teach our children? And so all growing up, and I think my parents um, made a very wise decision. We didn't celebrate Halloween. We talked about uh, what uh, Halloween is and why we don't celebrate death because um, that celebration, of course, is a, 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 um, a rejection of ultimately the truth of the gospel of Christ because we know that, you know, ghosts and um, goblins and some of these things um, do not accurately reflect um, the eternal hope that we have in Christ. And so instead, we also learned history very well and always celebrated uh, Reformation Day and the acknowledgement of why theology matters and why we should always question sound doctrine. And and I know that that seems uh, very substantively heavy for children, but it's actually a great thing. Uh, and that's what the Bible admonishes us to train up a child in the way they should go. So when they're older, they won't depart from it. And um, this next clip that I want to play um, is from Pastor John MacArthur, who all of you know, of course, um, I represented in uh, his and Grace Community Church's um, case against L.A. County and Gavin Newsom to open their church. That's a command of scripture. Um, there are things that we have to steadfastly, solidly um, stand firm on. And when some of those things are doctrines, um, we can compromise on some things. Um, we can, you know, in speaking about the, the next speaker of the house, um, we talked about that in terms of working with his colleagues across the aisle. But sound doctrine is one of those things that Christians can never compromise on. So this is John MacArthur um, quickly on why the Reformation uh, still matters today. This is cut seven. I remember sometime back hearing a very well-known pastor say the Reformation was highly overrated. That is a shocking statement when you realize that the Reformation was a recovery of the true gospel which had been lost to the entire Roman Catholic Church. It cost the reformers their churches. It cost the reformers their reputation. It cost many of the reformers their lives to affirm the true gospel and to confront the false teaching of Rome. How can we, 500 years later, be so cavalier in wanting to embrace Roman Catholicism as if there were no difference. Do we understand that Roman Catholicism has not changed? Roman Catholic theology has not changed. It will not change. It cannot change. It is exactly today what it was then when it needed to be totally reformed. But because there's a weakening of doctrinal clarity in the evangelical church, a weakening of doctrinal conviction and courage in the church, and this kind of sentimental feeling that we all need to get together as one, people are discounting the clear distinction between the true gospel and what Paul tells the Galatians is another gospel. And Paul says if someone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. We need to understand that in this day when there's such pressure to unify with a false gospel. Of course, he's talking about um, Unitarianism and this idea that there are multiple pathways to God and also that the theological distinctions uh, between different denominations don't matter. And um, and with with 
all respect to our friends who are Catholics. I have many friends who are Catholics. Um, I have many friends who are Orthodox Jews, but deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ and deny him as Messiah. Um, that is a false gospel that is not in keeping with the truth. And and this isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible teaches. And this is why we always need to, as Christians, be seeking out truth, be daily in the word of God and understanding and rightly dividing truth from error. And the reason that um, evangelicals and Protestants embrace this understanding of salvation through justification alone um, and salvation through faith alone, that our, our justification comes not by works, but by our confession that Jesus is Lord. And then if we are truly saved, we will follow and works will show that fruit of salvation. But it's not the works or anything that we do that justifies us. That is the free gift and ultimate work of God. That matters to sound doctrine, to soteriology or the idea and the theology, the truth of salvation. And, um, and today on Reformation Day, um, I would encourage you to, to have a conversation with your families, to look at uh, the Reformation, and, uh, and most of the secular world will point out the Renaissance as this period of enlightenment when we came out of the Middle Ages and, um, and, and there was this new, um, this new Renaissance that, that really um, showcased truth, but they on purpose, I think, depart from the other thing that was so essential that was going on, which was the Reformation, which was coming out of just these traditions of the Catholic Church and was truly embracing reading the gospel and reading the Bible for ourselves and translating the Bible um, into the common language so that it wasn't only available for the priest to then uh, say whatever they wanted to interpret the Bible. And, and so for us today, are we only relying, even if we are evangelicals, are we only relying on what our pastor tells us or are we reading the Bible for ourselves? And, and I think we need to really pay attention to working out our own salvation in fear and trembling but ensuring that we know for ourselves what the Bible says. And, and speaking of that, um, I don't, I don't want to um, run out of time in this segment before playing this. Um, so when we're talking about the Reformation continuing and what John MacArthur is saying is absolutely true and that that is also true for the civil government sphere, when you look at Speaker Mike Johnson, who is a faithful, sincere Christian, I want to play this clip from Jen Psaki, who, yes, is still on MSNBC. And for those who unfortunately only listen to MSNBC and mainstream media, this is what she said about Mike Johnson. And listen to the terms of how she describes Christians as extremists and dangerous to democracy when she's out there working. She, she formerly worked for and defended Joe Biden, who calls himself a devout Catholic, and somehow that's okay. His theology and his worldview can inform his position on pro-choice, on you know all of these other insanely leftist progressive agendas, and he can do that, and that's fine. So it's fine for him to take his Catholic faith uh, to work and to elected office when it goes along with the progressive Democrat agenda. But when someone like Mike Johnson gets on Fox News and says, you want to know what I think about anything? Open the Bible. My worldview is based on the Bible. Then that somehow is not okay. That's extreme. Notice 
the absolute and utter hypocrisy. So this is Jen Psaki, and this is about a four-minute clip. But listen and consider, if this was the only thing that you knew about, about Mike Johnson, listen to the blatant manipulation and the condemnation of Christians exercising their faith in the public square. This is Cut 5. Right now, one deeply religious conservative Republican is limping out of the race for president after failing to gain any traction whatsoever. Another deeply religious conservative Republican just ascended to the speakership and is now second in line to the presidency. One of the key differences between Mike Pence and Mike Johnson is, well, Pence refused to go along with Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the election in 2020, while Mike Johnson was a key architect of that plot. Apparently, there is still a place in the Republican Party for extreme Christian conservatism, so long as it's paired with a fealty to the former president. So let's take a few minutes to talk about this new speaker. First glance, Mike Johnson does seem fine, fine-ish. Conservative, yes, but he once started a civility caucus with a Democrat. And I mean, if nothing else, he wears a suit and has glasses. How threatening can this guy actually be? Well, he gave us all a little clue as to how he would govern in an interview this week. I am a Bible-believing Christian. Someone asked me today in the media, they said, it's curious, people are curious, what does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? I said, well, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's, that's my worldview. You heard that right. The Bible doesn't just inform his worldview, it is his worldview. In fact, during his first speech in his new job, Johnson suggested that his election as speaker was an act of God. Talk about a bit of a humble brag there. So what exactly has God apparently called on Mike Johnson to do? Well, his views on policy are essentially what you'd expect from a religious fundamentalist. They're more divisive than they are divine. Prior to his election to Congress in 2016, Johnson spent nearly two decades working for the hard right conservative legal activist group, the Alliance Defending Freedom. It's a group, by the way, that is so right-wing, it was designated a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. The ADF has worked for decades to blur the line between church and state, if not erase it altogether. It's kind of their goal. They've pushed to expand LGBTQ plus discrimination in the name of religious freedom. And they were a big part of the effort to overturn Roe v. Wade. Following the Supreme Court's 2003 ruling that struck down the country's sodomy laws as unconstitutional, Johnson criticized the decision and wrote in favor of criminalizing gay sex. He claimed that, quote, states have always maintained the right to discourage the evils of sexual conduct outside of marriage. Then in 2004, Johnson wrote that homosexual relationships are inherently unnatural, ultimately harmful, and a dangerous lifestyle. You don't exactly have to be a religious scholar to know whether discrimination is a key tenet of the Bible. It's not. And then there is his policy on gun violence. Speaker Johnson wants to talk about anything but guns. In 2016, he actually blamed school shootings on no-fault divorce laws, radical feminism, and legal abortion. It's all quite a stretch there. Then there's the obvious question of how Johnson's convictions square with his fierce loyalty to Donald Trump a guy who has been married multiple times, paid hush money to a porn star, and joked about grabbing women. I would love to know what passage in the Bible told Johnson to become one of the most important architects behind Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. Which passage? Was it God whispering in his ear to ignore the Constitution and disenfranchise millions of voters? 
it's hard not to think that Mike Johnson's idea of what America should be is drastically out of line with what America actually is. He clearly envisions a country that's less democratic and less tolerant. And that may explain why he seems more comfortable with the America of the 18th century than the America of today. Truth has been replaced as the greatest virtue in society by tolerance. Well, we're the in inherently intolerant ones who say, wait a minute, life is sacred because we're, we're endowed by our creator. We're certain inalienable rights. We have to stand up for those. Oh, you bigot. Can't you be a little more open-minded? Come on. That's so like 18th century, you know. Well, they told us that if we didn't maintain those 18th century values, that the republic would not stand. And so this is the condition we find ourselves in today. Just holding on to those 18th century values there. The problem with Johnson isn't at all his faith. He's entitled to his personal beliefs, as everyone is, even if they come from the 18th century. But when those beliefs encroach on the rights of others, that's when it becomes dangerous. Or they're the rights of gay people, trans people, or the millions of Americans out there who were entitled to have their vote counted. So, Jen Psaki, what about the unborn children? What about uh, any of the people who are having their rights also infringed by your advocacy and your policies that are based on your worldview. She calls him intolerant and intolerant and has such derision for the truth of the gospel of Christ and is actually mocking God in this segment. And do you notice how she is slightly trying to say that his beliefs and our beliefs in scripture are antiquated and are out of the 18th century? Well, Genesis was from 6,000 years ago. So this has been fundamental truth since the very beginning of time. This isn't just some antiquated uh, patriarchal view from the 1800s or from the 1950s, but that's how she wants to categorize and diminish all Christians for having our worldview consistent with our beliefs and standing up for the policies that rightly and accurately reflect truth. And if you didn't know Mike Johnson, and this was all that you heard, was from Jen Psaki, you'd have a very different impression of Mike Johnson than you would what is actually the truth. And the fact that she is so willing to highlight how Joe Biden is such a devout Catholic and he forms his policy and his beliefs based on his sincerity, and so does Nancy Pelosi, by the way, that's somehow okay with Jen Psaki and with the rest of the Democrats. But if you are a Bible-believing Christian that says that you believe in the truth and inerrancy and sufficiency of the Word of God, well, you're entitled to your beliefs, but you're not entitled to make policy based on those beliefs. Only the Democrats can. This is absolutely ridiculous, and it's false, and we need to stand up and call it out for what it is. So I support Mike Johnson, and I think what he has said, not only on Fox, but everywhere else, is the truth. We need to be praying for him because they are attacking him, attacking his family. Be praying for him to stand firm. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The medical establishment has been playing God with the lives of innocent babies for decades now. Many have grown callous because it seems surreal to think that over 64 million babies have been lost. Preborn will not stand silent, nor should we. We cannot stand by and let babies die at the hand of abortion. That's why preborn exists, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The only defense for these precious babies is their heartbeat, which begins at just three weeks and can be heard on ultrasound by five weeks. 
When a mother making that ultimate choice hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the precious life inside of her, the majority of the time she will choose life. By sponsoring an ultrasound for a mother, you are being the voice of the preborn. Please join Preborn in the cause for life. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and I want to welcome in my next guest, our good friend, Congressman Chip Roy from the great state of Texas. And uh, Congressman Roy, in the last segment, um, I was ranting about uh, how the left is absolutely trying to target new speaker Mike Johnson Uh, Not over his conservative policies, not over the fact that he's even a Republican, but about his Christian faith and his biblical worldview. In fact, Huffington Post even wrote an article condemning his wife, who is a biblical counselor, for actually posting on her own website uh, a statement of faith that suggests that um, any uh, aberrant sexual activity that is against uh, biblical truth is immoral and sinful. Well, Christians believe that, but somehow that's not okay with the left and the Huffington Post. And yet, uh, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, who call themselves devout Catholics, it's okay for them to bring their worldview to work because they support pro-choice and the Democrat leftist policies. It's okay for the squad to be extremists in terms of supporting actual terrorism. That's all okay. But we can't uh, as Christians exercise our faith, if we happen to be a member of Congress or the Speaker of the House, what's your response to all of this? Well, good to be on, Jenna. Um, this is just the normal uh, playbook that uh, not just the radical left, but just the, but, but the left generally, Democrats generally, even some, frankly, mainline uh, Republicans who uh, don't want to address truth in the world, right? They don't want to address the reality of a uh, earth given to us by our creator, uh, the, the, the reality that our founders full well understood, um, obviously uh, made very clear in the Declaration with respect to uh, rights that are unalienable but that are granted to us by our creator, that reality, that recognition, that understanding of the order of the world is really important and it is a foundation of our uh, Western civilization that made this world the most, uh, uh, you know, the safest, the most secure, uh, and and the most prosperous in the history of mankind. That's where you need to start with, and that's what Mike's talking about, right? That's that's when he talks about a biblical worldview and about a worldview um, that that he thinks is important to espouse. Um, you know, I mean, the only only criticism I'd, I'd give, and I and I say this humbly, is uh, if, if if I was Mike's family, I would not have pulled down a website. I wouldn't have, you know, backed away in any stretch of the imagination. Um, at the end of the day, it's important for us to stand up for our values, our beliefs, and why they make this world a better place. Um, I believe that fundamentally, and I will not apologize for it. And I know Mike has never apologized for it, and I think that is uh, commendable. 
Yeah, I, I I wholly agree, and it was um, interesting to me to see that uh, that that statement was pulled down from the website when it's totally accurate and it's fully in line with the biblical worldview. And I appreciate so much that you are willing, um, and Mike Johnson and and the few other stalwart Christians are willing to stand firm on the truth of the Bible. I mean, that is something that we cannot compromise on. I mean, regardless of what other policy considerations, other things, or you know, different politicians we. Support support, whatever. Um, the truth of the gospel of Christ is something that can never be uh, compromised. And we see that throughout world history and why America and, is the greatest nation because of that. Yeah, go ahead. And Jenna, and I think something that's really important, and this is going to be a little bit of a side uh, conversation, but that is really central to this whole point. It is not hypocritical to observe truth when you violate truth right? We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. That is central to our Christian faith. And so to recognize that an individual is flawed, that you have a temper or, or use language you shouldn't use, or you, you, you know, uh, you know, you, you might covet somebody else's um, belongings or, you, you know, wh- whatever it is, go down the list. You don't keep the Sabbath. You don't honor your parents. You, what, you go down your list of things that you do where you fall short. And we all do. Everyone listening to this knows he or she falls short. I know you know that. You have that worldview. That does not mean you're hypocritical to believe that we are supposed to follow uh, the, the, not just the law as given to us and then follow the teachings of Christ uh, as a Christian, but, but also that you just recognize the reality that we, are, we fall short as humans. And then to say that you want to set a standard and that you want to try to adhere to that standard and that that is the proper way for us to live, and that that worldview means a much better world for people, a safer world, a more prosperous world, a world in which people are treated fairly, a world in which people can operate under the rule of law. There's a reason that Moses sits up above the chamber in the House or above the Supreme Court. There's a reason that Western civilization has meant so much for the world. And, and we cannot, like, that is actually central to everything we're fighting about right now. Even as things unfold in Israel, even as we see our, our Jewish brothers and sisters being targeted around the world, and Christians being targeted around the world, uh, we need to remember this is a central fight, and it is something that is foretold, and that we have to stand up on the mountaintops and defend our, not just our beliefs, but truth. So well said, Representative Tripp Roy. And, and I think you're so right to point out this is why we have a standard, why we have a rule of law, and why our founders acknowledged that it's God who is the sovereign, not them, because they knew they were flawed as well, and that they may not even get it right the first time. That's why we have the amendment process in uh, the Constitution. And every Christian, if we are sincere, will say, don't look to me as the standard, and we should take responsibility for our mistakes. We should confess our sins daily, and and, and we should say we want to be daily more conformed to the image of Christ with, with recognizing that the only virtuous moral standard is the truth of God. And that's why we have to have a rule of law that is premised on biblical morality. Otherwise, it is totally arbitrary. And we need to do our best to advocate for that and to the biblical worldview. And you also mentioned, you know, this is why um, then the policy outflows from this biblical worldview and this perspective. And you are fighting really hard to make sure that um, the military aid to Israel is paid for out of 
um, something else rather than just this um, this bucket of I, I think fictitious money that um, that America has been s- sending to Ukraine, for example. And this shows a a fiscal responsibility um, angle of morality, I think. But um, why are you fighting so hard when we're talking about Israel and that military aid um, to be paid for out of something else? Well, this is a really important question, right? And and it, it stems from what we were just talking about in terms of, of, of our belief system and how we should operate. I mean, we have been diverging from uh, uh, responsible governance for as long as I've been alive, and certainly it's been accelerating in recent years in the last couple of decades. And we are not just mortgaging our future and spending money we don't have to the detriment of our fiscal health and racking up debt and racking up interest, although, side note, this is an extraordinary moment of epic danger with respect to how much our interest payments are piling up as interest rates go up and our debt goes up. The percentage of our overall GDP that is now going to be interest payments is extraordinary over the next decade. We are going to blow past our national defense expenditure with just interest payments. So now that is your backdrop. Now people want us to come in and write a $14 billion check to Israel. Let me be clear about my unequivocal support for Israel. My belief that our standing alongside Israel is much more than just our heritage and our Judeo-Christian values and connection to Israel and Jerusalem and our history, but it is central to our national security right now. It is central with respect to our engagement in the world with Israel standing athwart the evils of radical Islam in the Middle East and what we saw just unfold in the recent weeks. Uh, with the unbelievable barbaric acts of Hamas against our Israeli brothers and sisters, and frankly, directly to Americans. Let's remember that part. It is in our national security interest that Israel be strong, that their Iron Dome function and work well. I fully support that. However, it is also in our national security interest that we stop writing blank checks, that we stop being irresponsible, that we stop funding endless quagmires, be it in Ukraine, be it in Iraq and Afghanistan, be it potentially in and through Israel. We must be very cautious. So for me, there is a principle. We must pay as we go. We must pay and sacrifice if we're going to engage in funding proxy wars. And that is central to this. So $14.5 billion, we can pay for that. We should pay for that. And I would be hypocritical if I said, well, you know what? I think it's important for Israel. Let's just write a blank check. When I, when I will not do that for Ukraine, we must come together as a country, be responsible, find the funding for it. And if my Democrat colleagues, they want to choose the IRS expansion to target American citizens over funding Israel, then let them make that choice. I'm happy to cut something else that they want. For example, the United Nations or UNRWA or the Human Rights Commission that are refuse to actually condemn Hamas. There are endless supplies of things we fund that I'm happy to cut. And if Democrats want to sit at the table, they're welcome to. But we should not write a blank check. This is so well said, and I think is the best argument for uh, the Republicans who, like me, want to see America give aid to Israel, but have not supported this endless funding to Ukraine, uh, because it is a blank check, and it is uh, not fiscally responsible. And you even mentioned um, that our national security interests 
uh, would dictate that we should stop writing blank checks. And I would love to see other things that America funds, like the human rights campaign and and other things uh, diminished. And so with uh, Speaker Johnson's leadership, um, where do you see that uh, that we can genuinely pull this from that would at least get the support of all of the House Republicans? Well, look, I hope all House Republicans will stand behind this common sense uh, uh, legislation that 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 the speaker intends to bring up this week that would uh, fund Israel, but pay for it out of an expansion. Remember, eighty seven and a half billion dollars expanding the IRS to target citizens, which historically has targeted the poor and minorities far more than any of the more wealthy uh, people in this country. Um, but if that's not something that people can support, be they Republicans or Democrats, then by all means, come forward with something. But it's got to be real, and it's got to be from this year. There is plenty to cut. Again, I'd be happy to cut all of the funding to the United Nations. It is an utterly uh, disastrous organization uh, that conspires against the interests of America. I do not know why we continue to fund billions of dollars to the United Nations every year. Um, UNRWA is direct funding that is going to uh, Hamas. You've got UNRWA dollars that are going to prop up and support Hamas. Why would we continue to fund that? Why would we continue to fund the UN Human Rights Commission that is clearly opposed to us, Israel, and our allies? Why would we continue to allow, for example, Iran? Why Why do we not sanction Iran to stop their making billions of dollars from oil transfers to China? which may or may not result in dollars to us. Why don't we go freeze assets or go take frozen assets? Why don't we go work with Qatar to take those frozen assets and then use it to pay for things? I'm happy to entertain all ideas, but right now what I'm not willing to do is entertain a blank check for anyone, and that includes even Israel, whom I uh, strongly support and believe that it's in our national security interest to support. And Congressman Chiproy, this is why, um, for the record, just for me personally, um, you are one of my absolute favorite people in Congress because you make these arguments uh, brilliantly and articulately and consistently. And I know that you will stand firm on this. And there is going to be also, um, according to Speaker Johnson, the a single issue uh, bill that comes up. So it's not just this package of, well, Republicans, if you want to support Israel, you also have to support funding for Ukraine. And I think that makes sense as well. Well, I totally agree, and Mike is 100% right on that. Now, the issue here is going to be when pressure is being brought to bear by some of our friends in the Jewish community who just say, look, we appreciate what you're trying to do, but it's more important to get the money to Israel immediately, and we're going to be uh, all staring in, in the abyss in our hearts and looking at what's going on with respect to the horrific stories where we see where they put Israeli babies in in ovens while they rape the mother in the house. I mean, these are real stories that we are seeing come out of the details of what happened with respect to the barbaric acts of Hamas against our Israeli brothers and sisters. There's going to be a lot of people who are on the Democratic side who are going to say, you can't touch that. You're just politicizing this with IRS money. Fine. You guys want to come up with a better pay for that's real? By all means, put it on the table. That's $87 billion sitting there that we believe is going to be used against the American citizens that we think is better uh, used right now to go help our brothers and sisters in Israel. But whatever we need to do, we need to stand firm on the principle. Mike is right to separate Ukraine. We need to have a separate debate on Ukraine. When we do have that debate on Ukraine, I want to know what the mission is. I want to know what we're going to get at in terms of a plan. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And thank you so much for fighting, Chip Roy. Look forward to having you back again soon. We're all out of time. You can reach me and my team, Jenna, at AFR.net. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.